Hope you're doing well. Um, January 8th, how many resolutions have you already broken? Awesome, awesome. <clears throat> um, <laughs> all right, so here's the deal. Uh, I am really, really, really super excited about 2012 and all the possibilities and all the things that God might do in and through us here at Remedy. And so um, I've been very, very excited about this coming year. I've been very excited about every year, um, but I'm very excited about this year as well. And so uh, every year it comes with challenges, but because of, uh, you know, that's just expected. What I want this year is for all of us to really, really be mega, mega engaged with the church and with the Lord. Um, And so what we're doing, you can see. Uh, the series that we're doing right here is called Resolved. And so for the next four weeks, just four, we're going to be doing a, a little miniature series. We'll be back in Matthew verse by verse as we get into February. Uh, it's usually what we do is just pick a book, preach through it. And so we're about, I don't know, 35% away through the book of Matthew. And we'll continue that once we get to February. But before we get started uh, into Matthew in February, for the next four weeks, I want to talk about... Uh, just some things specific. We're talking, it's called resolved, and that's kind of playing on the New Year's resolutions that some of us might make. Um, but it's a little bit more than just uh, resolutions. And we're going to get into that in just a second. But um, I'm excited to uh, talk about these things. Today we're going to be talking about communion with Christ. And uh, not that you would resolve to commune with Christ, that maybe you would, but that you would see it as absolutely necessary as a Christian. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in, and I hopefully I'll explain uh, everything about what we're doing. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word that you've given us. Thank you for Christ, um, where we can see Jesus most clearly is in the word. And I pray for help this morning, Lord. I want to, <clears throat> I want to communicate authoritatively. As, as a pastor, and I always want to do that, but there's a danger when you preach authoritatively to come off uh, with arrogance. And, and Jesus, I, I certainly want you to keep me from that. I, I never want to come off as, as arrogant at all. Help me be authentic. Help me be open and real with who I am and um, where I am. And would you use all of that, God, for us this morning to engage with you in your scriptures and to be challenged to walk with you more deeply and to enjoy the beauty of the gospel more clearly. We thank you for, for Christ and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking about communion with Jesus. And so um, periodically the Lord presses upon pastors uh, Places in a church where as he thinks about the church, where they are spiritually and prays about um, their growth spiritually, the, the Lord will press upon pastors places that he can see specific to the church that he's over that they can improve. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that if they need to improve that they're not doing well, but there's room for improvement. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to think about and, and talk about four places that I think that we can as a church um, improve in, although it doesn't mean you're not doing somewhat well in those. Today is communion with Christ or communion with Jesus. Next week will be generosity. The week after that will be service. And the final week will be missions. And it won't be the mission sermon that you've been kind of hearing over the last entire fall semester. Um, we're going to suppose, uh, we're going to focus specifically on international missions that fourth week. And Jack will preach that week. Um, and so, and then we'll be back in Matthew. So today's is communion with Jesus. 
communion with Jesus. And so this is what I want to kind of start out with. Um, the books I read, of course, in addition to the Bible, which is the book to read uh, this week, are The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, Think by John Piper, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, and Seeing Savoring Jesus Christ. And those four are really four books, and there's multiples uh, on communing with Christ. And so I'm going to be grabbing a lot of ideas from those books as we're looking through stuff today. But here's here's the um, way I want to start it off for us and just kind of let this be our intro to where I want to go today. Um, this morning, I was even the Lord gave me a grace as I was driving. I rarely see deer very much and I love going hunting. But this morning, as I was driving down the little road that I kind of live on, I saw a nice doe run up in front of me. Um, and it, it was just reminding me again of the text I'm going to start with today. Um, start with today. So here's here's the deal. We're talking about communing with Jesus. And so I want you to, as we read this, notice um, the way in which this this writer in the book of Psalm talks about his desire for God, his desire to be with God and his desire for God. This is in Psalm 42. Listen to how it, it says. It says, as the deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So think of a deer who's who's absolutely just emaciated with thirst, if you will. And think about how much it would want to go to a flowing stream and drink. And the gospel writer or the writer of the psalm is saying, as that deer is panting for, thirsting for, desiring, needing to have that water in that same way is how my soul pants for you, longs for you, desires for you, God, in my life right now. Because my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So let's just kind of stop and ask the introductory question. Is this indicative of your desire for God? If you look at your life and you think, um, does this describe my present desire for the person of Jesus in my life right now? Do I thirst, desire, pant for, can't live without, need to have the presence of Christ in my life right now? Is that indicative and descriptive of who I am as a Christ follower? Now, if it's not, that doesn't mean you're a terrible person. But what I want is for all of us to say, yes, let that be descriptive of me in the year of 2012. I, I desperately want this to be me. This, this is Jesus saying this in another way in John 17. Right before um, he goes to the cross and is resurrected. That night before in John 17, um, is, which is his, his prayer. He prays this for all of us. He says, and this is eternal life. That they know you. Not know about you, God. But know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we're going to be talking about today um, this description of a Christ follower, this description that pants after, that must have the presence of Jesus Christ fully in their life. We're going to be talking about communion with God. And if we're all honest, if we're believers, we do want that. Like there's there's times in our life, whether it's the beginning of the year because it's a New Year's resolution or there's just been intense times of, of worship or sweet times in the word or God's just been really thick in your life where you've gotten to do ministry. Maybe you've gone overseas and seeing just how awesome ministry is somewhere um, where the presence of God has just been full in your life and then it hasn't been. And you say, I want that back. And so that's what I'm driving towards today. Communion with Jesus. And there's going to be Three specific ways that, and there's multitudes of ways that we can have communion with Jesus. But there's going to be three specific ways that I want to talk about today that remedy 
and where I think that we can improve as people of remedy. Now, this is a little bit different than the fall where I talk about these are the attributes of the church or these are, you know, the mission of our church. That's kind of congregational. This is where we as a church want to accomplish. This is very individualistic as we're approaching this beginning year. This is where are you right now? Um, now, the, the title of the sermon is or the series is resolved. And so we're kind of taking that word about New Year's resolutions and, and saying, Hopefully, we'll all resolve to do this. But this isn't... Resolve kind of carries the idea that this is an optional thing. Maybe one day, hopefully I'll be, when I finally get there, whenever things get ready. And so I don't want us to think of this this four-week series as these four things we're going to go of. Resolved, one day I'll hopefully do it. These four things should be present in the life of every single Christian. So it's more traits or characteristics, although resolved is just fun to use because it's the new year, right? And we love fun things. Everybody loves fun things. And so um, that's what we're doing right now. Um, I think everybody loves fun things. So this is what I'm going after whenever I'm talking about resolved things. Um, the reason why I want these four things, and specifically today, communion, which is the absolute essential beginning point. We can't talk about generosity or service or mission until we talk about our personal walk and communion with Jesus. Those other things kind of follow this first. Um, The reason why I'm very serious about this is because I want your heart to be full. I want your heart to be big. And this is what I mean. I'm going to quote John Piper. And this is, this is what he's, when he's just kind of talking about this, he goes, little hearts give big lusts or little lusts, Big power. Little hearts give little lusts big power, but big hearts give lust, little lusts, no power. And so I want your heart to be big. So as lusts or temptations come your way, your heart is full of Christ. All of these things that can vie for your attention or vie for your affection for Christ, they have no power in your life because your heart is full of the Holy Spirit. Your heart is full of a deep desire for Jesus. Now, because this sermon series is resolved, um, it would be a shame if I don't weave in and out the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards through these ser- through these uh, sermons. So I'm going to uh, be bringing in some of the resolutions of Edwards. Edwards was a, a pastor in New England, maybe a couple hundred years ago. And uh, even at the age of like 19 and 20, he wrote some of the most difficult and amazing, challenging resolutions that someone could write. And, and, and what they meant is resolved. This is going to be characteristic of my life for the rest of my life. And so um, just to start off with us, uh, communion with God. These are some of the things he says. Resolved to improve every opportunity when I am in the best and happiest frame of mind and to cast and venture or adventure my soul Unto the Lord Jesus Christ and to trust and to confide in him and consecrate myself or devote myself with holiness to consecrate myself wholly to him from this that I may have assurance of my safety, knowing that I confide in my redeemer. Now, remember, he wrote a couple hundred years ago. That was 1723. Um, so I guess it's almost 300 years ago. Um, here's one other one talking about communion with God. He said, resolved very much. Uh, to exercise myself in all my lifelong uh, with the greatest openness I am capable of to declare my ways to God. I love this. To lay open my soul to him. All my sins, temptations, difficulties, sorrows, fears, hopes, desires, and everything and in every circumstance. Um, so this is what we're talking about when we mean communion with God. Uh, so these are, 
hopefully going to be characteristic. Now, the, the title of this sermon is going to be three intentional means for us to pursue communion with Jesus. These three things are not exhaustive. There's tons of ways that you can pursue communion with God. But these are not exhaustive, but I think very specific for remedy. Just through conversation and prayer and thinking, um, I think these three three things are very specific for remedy and would hopefully do all of us um, a, uh, a service, if you will, if, if we devote ourselves to these things. The first thing is this. Um, the first intentional means that I want you to engage in in a uh, pursuit of communion with Jesus is devote yourselves to prayer. I want you to devote yourselves to prayer. Now, I'm using the word devote very intentionally because if you've noticed in reading in some of the Old Testament, I'm sorry, New Testament, especially through the book of Acts, when it talks about uh, prayer, this is the language of the New Testament when it talks about the way that, pe- that we would be in prayer. It says that we would devote ourselves to prayer. I'm going to give you just four examples of the New Testament using this word devote. The first one is from Acts 1.14. Speaking of the disciples, it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and Mary, and, uh, the mother of Jesus, his brothers. Acts 2.42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So you can see there that they were devoted to the prayers. And this is descriptive of the early apostles. In Acts 6.4, uh, this is right whenever they were picking the first deacons. Uh, the apostles said, we don't need to wait tables. That will take up a lot of our time. And we're the ministers of the word. So we're going to pick someone that can be the first deacons for us. And it says, but we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, uh, there's a place where, uh, speaking of uh, couples, uh, taking a fast from engaging physically. And it says the reason why they take a fast from engaging Physically, it says, do not deprive one another except for perhaps by agreement for a limited time. Um, limited time's key there, of course, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again that Satan may not tempt you. So we can see there's a pattern even in the New Testament whenever it's talking about devote. And so one good way to study the scriptures is if the Bible starts using patterns when talking of things, why? Why are we going to do that? And we're going to get into that actually in the second one. Uh, today, but I wanted to know what this word devote means. It, it's being brought forward in the English language as devote. I wanted to see what this Greek word was and see if it was actually translated in other ways besides the word devote. So here's what I found, and I think it's going to be very helpful for us as we think about devoting ourselves to prayer and why we devote ourselves to prayer. All right, so this word, proskatero, uh, devote here, means to persevere in. It means to continue steadfast in, to labor in, in regard to prayer. And so it's already carrying the, the, the connotations of this word is already carrying an idea that it's work and it's tough. And it is so because prayer is work. Prayer is tough. It's tough to do every day. It's really tough to do every day. Um, and so this proskatero means to persevere in. It means to continue steadfast in. Now, at the beginning, I said that we're using this word resolved and uh, we can say, well, that's optional. Uh, I can resolve to do that. Maybe I won't. But um, instead, it's not optional. It's not resolving to maybe do it. These are traits and characteristics, means, which means if you're going to be a Christian, a believer in Jesus, you must 
be the kind of person that's devoted in prayer. It's, it's not, well, maybe I should in 2012 or maybe I shouldn't. Every single one of us who is a believer in Jesus must be devoted, persevere in, continue steadfast in. Every one of us must labor in prayer, both with planned prayers in the morning and spontaneous as the Holy Spirit leads prayers throughout the day. It's not one or the other. Well, I just like to pray spontaneously or I just like to do one. It's both. The Lord wants both. The Lord wants planned, intentional prayers and the Lord wants these um, in all things, pray or first Corinthians 518, pray without ceasing or first Thessalonians 518, pray without ceasing. He wants all these things, Ephesians 614, that we would pray all the time. He wants all those happening, both planned and spontaneous. Um, and so when we're talking about this, devoting ourselves to prayer, I want us to keep the mindset that it must happen in our lives. Now, here's the deal. Um, I'm wanting us to see how or maybe why that's the case. And so I started looking a little bit deeper about this word prospatero, and I wanted to see how it was translated in other texts. And so I want to show you a different way it's translated, and hopefully as we see the other way that it's translated, it'll, um, it'll bring to light for us uh, why the necessity of prayer is in our life, or should be in our life. So Acts 10, it'll, it should be on the screen. Acts 10, 7, you can see this. Um, and this is, this is what I mean Look about why we absolutely must be devoted in prayer. Acts 10, 17 says this. When the angel, this is talking about Peter, God just to visit him and an angel and told him he needed to do some stuff. And so Peter's like, all right, I'm going to go do it. And he's about to go do it. And it says this. It says, when the angel who spoke to Peter had departed, he, Peter, called two of his servants and a devout soldier from those. And look, it says, who attended him. And then verse 8 says, and have related everything to them. He went um, he sent them to Joppa. So after he told them everything, he sent the servants and they actually obeyed what he did. So that word attended there is the same word as devote. So here's um, what's going on here. Notice who is it that's attending to Peter? It's the servants that are attending to Peter. It's the servants who are um, continuing. They're being steadfast. They're persevering. They're absolutely carrying out. They're attending every aspect of the job that they have. Why are they doing that? Because they're servants of Peter. The idea here is they don't have a choice. They must attend to Peter because of who they are as servants and whose they are as the servants of Peter. Whatever he tells them to do, they're going to go do it. They're going to obey. And it's, this is the exact same idea. And I, I think you can see where I'm going here. Um, this idea of attend or the idea of devote means that we're going to, we don't have a choice because we are Christ's, because we belong to Jesus and he is our savior and we love him. We must just like them don't have a choice. We have to find ourselves with an absolute need an absolute um, obedience of desperation, if you will, that when we have to when we're going through life that we we must attend to the Lord in prayer. I need you. I don't have a choice here. I can't make it throughout this day without you. I think that when we talk about prayer, we all say, you know, we like the idea of saying, yeah, I want to be the kind of person that's devoted to Jesus in prayer. I want to be the kind of prayer warrior, if you will. When people think of me, I want them to think prayer warrior. They're always in the word. They're always in uh, devotion with prayer. But when we kind of take the step back, and this is just from conversations that I have with people, I, I don't think that most Christians, and at least maybe most people in Remedy, are the kind of people in prayer that they want. There's, there's either two. It's either I feel like I'm good in prayer, but I could get way better, or I don't feel like I'm good at prayer at all, and I need to get way better. That's generally the conversations I have. 
with people. And so what I think is this. If we take this perspective, which is I can't do anything without Christ. Most of us are like, I'm going to do everything I can. And then after I've done everything I can, then if all my own power, I'm able to not accomplish it. That's when I'll say, "Okay, God, look what I've done. I've done everything I can. I've kind of saved your 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 time. I know you're busy with a lot of things going on. So I, I did everything in my will and power and I got to this place. Now I need for you, if you would, to come down and give me a help. Give me a hand. And that's not the way we're supposed to think. Instead, from the beginning point, we're to have an absolute utter dependence, an awareness of who we are. I can do nothing outside of Christ. And because of that, I have such a deep love for you because of who you are and whose I am. I'm yours. I love you so much. I want to, I must be, I have to be in prayer every single day because I'm absolutely dependent upon you to be able to breathe. I'm absolutely dependent upon you to be able to take the next step, to have that conversation, to be able to go to my job, to relate to my spouse in a Christ-like way, to be able to tell someone about Jesus, to be able to even wake up and have the desires and affections to be in your word this morning. I am absolutely dependent upon you in every single way. And this is what I mean when I say I want you to, vo- to devote yourselves to prayer in communion with God, to continue steadfast, persevere, labor in the act of prayer every single day. Um, Ephesians 6.18 says that we would be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or prayers on behalf of the saints. Because of who Christ is and because we belong to Jesus. And just like the servants, it's almost as if we don't even have a choice. Now, surely you can say, of course I have a choice. I can go two weeks without prayer and I can just still be alive and still be kicking. Um, But spiritually, you know, if we're all honest, we're not. And so what I want us all to do is to find or, or become aware of spiritually the absolute absolute necessity in our lives that we would be in prayer. We would devote ourselves to the work of prayer. This is uh, Edwards on prayer. He says, resolved never to count a prayer, nor to let that prayer that pass as a prayer, nor that as a petition of prayer, which is so made that I cannot hope that God will answer it. Know that as a confession, which I cannot hope that God will accept it. In other words, whenever I pray, I want to I want to stand there in absolute, complete uh, awareness and continued. I know that the Lord is going to hear this prayer. There's no doubt in my mind that God is going to hear it and accept it. And I want to stand here with complete resolution that not only will he hear it, but he will answer it. That's what he's saying. That's the kind of posture he wants to have and belief he wants to have in regard to prayer with God. Here's another one. He says when in the apostle uh, in Romans eight, the apostle Paul talks about these groanings that are in us as we're in prayer. Sometimes these groanings, we don't even know what we're supposed to, how to pray as we ought. And so, uh, Edwards says, whenever the, the Apostle Paul speaks of that in Romans 8, and I experienced that in my life, here's what he says, resolve, when I find those groanings which cannot be uttered, of which the Apostle Paul speaks, and those breakings of the soul for the longing it hath, which the psalmist speaks in Psalm 119, that I will, whenever I find those things in my life, I will promote them to the utmost of my power, and that it will not, I will not be weary of earnestly endeavoring to vent my desires or all the repetitions of such earnestness. In other words, we live pretty fast-paced lives, and so a lot of times it's hard to even find this. 
But in those moments where we're in prayer and all of a sudden we have deep longings or deep affections arise in ourselves, not to say, oh, that's pretty neat. I should probably do something. But instead, I'm going to go fill my life with, you know, whatever kind of distraction. Instead, I'm going to throw away that distraction because the spirit is doing something right now into this prayer. And I don't want to neglect it. I want to see where the spirit leads. So he's saying with all of my heart, with all of my might, I'm going to earnestly endeavor to see this all the way through in prayer to see what the Lord might do in my life. That's it's pretty awesome. And I think that we can all agree. <laughs> yeah, I want that. I definitely want that. I want to commune with Jesus and devote myself to that kind of prayer. And so we have to allow ourselves to throw away some distractions so that that can happen in our life. So the second means that I want to talk about today for communion with Jesus is this. That we would give yourself to thinking. You would give yourself to thinking. Um, Thinking deep has been... uh, it's kind of fallen off, if you will, in the 21st century. Um, and I don't mean necessarily just academically thinking deeply, although that, that is a part of it. Uh, but what do I mean here when I talk about thinking deeply? I mean meditation on the person and work and things of God, but not just um, like Eastern meditation where you sit there and you cross your legs and you hold your hands out and you, you moan and hum and you try to empty your mind. Christian meditation's the exact opposite of that. It's, it's a filling of your mind. It's I want to think on, meditate on, fill my mind with as much of Jesus and his word as I possibly can. But even more than that, when I say in the second point um, that we would give ourselves to thinking, meditation can still seem kind of passive. Like I'm going to do something and just kind of passively let kind of things wash over. And I don't even mean passivity here. I, I mean very much active endeavoring in thinking. And so I do mean Christian meditation, um, but even uh, not on the passive side, Christian meditation, but active Christian meditation. So let me uh, let me read a, a definition, if you will, of what I mean. This is not mine. This is J.I. Packer, who's infinitely smarter than me. And it, I want you to stick with me because it's not just like 140 characters. This is actually going to be six, six total lines. And so for some of us, that's difficult to stick with. So I want you to, I want you to listen to this because it's, this is jam-packed with, with some gold when we think about what Christian meditation, um, active thinking might mean. He says this. Jab Packer, Christian people suffer grievously from their ignorance of the practice of Christian meditation. Christian meditation is the activity of calling to mind and not just calling, but thinking over, deeply thinking over, dwelling on, but not letting it stop there. Also applying. So actually doing something in your life to oneself, the various things that one person might know about the works, the ways the purposes and the promises of God. So you're, you're bringing all those things into your mind. You're calling to mind, thinking, dwelling, and you're applying. It is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence. It's conscious. It's not some kind of, I don't know what's going on. It's very conscious. It's very active, very aware of what's going on. Consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, most especially by the help of God. We're absolutely dependent upon the Spirit for this. As a means, why would we do all that? Exactly what I've been talking about. As a means of communion with God. Because I think, and I I really believe this with all my heart, if all of us 
would start 2012 with a resolution or a a trait of ours that we are going to be the kind of Christian people that are going to commune deeply with Jesus, that it would transform our lives. Maybe our church, but definitely our lives individually. We would look radically different. We would be infinitely less selfish, far more interested in other people than ourselves. Salvation would happen far more around us than than it might. Um, But it says, as a means of communion, its purpose is to clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God to what would be appropriate and to let his truth take its full and proper impact on one's mind. So we want to clear out the wrong thoughts of God, clear out the junk and fill our minds with the truth from his word so that whenever we have the word in its fullness affecting our, our mind and our heart, it has a full and proper impact on our heart and mind. It, it, it changes us deeply. And here's the main thing I want you to think about this number two, that we would give ourselves to thinking or however worded. Yeah, give yourself to thinking. It takes time. This can't happen in, in 30 seconds. Um, in this fast-paced, 140-character, drive-through, high-speed internet, 3G, 4G world, everything has to happen in 30 seconds, or so we're done with it. This, I mean, I can load something on my computer, which is, if it doesn't happen in two seconds, this is ridiculous. This is taking for way too long. It, I'm, I'm doing something like in three seconds, and I'm, I'm, I'm so impatient. This kind of thought takes time. And so what I'm saying is that Christian meditation is the slowing down of your of your life in communion with Christ and taking the time to think about what you're reading. Uh, there's many times where I'll read four chapters and then I'll come back and I'll just say, what the world did I just read? I have absolutely no idea. I think it was about Joseph. But I remember the story, so I can't remember anything specific, though. I'll read the Psalms. And what, what did David say? I have no idea. Did he just... Call down curses on people um, in precatory songs, but that's just neither here nor there. So my point is, um, um, <clears throat> the point is this, that we would think deeply. We would stop and take the time to do this. Breathe in deep all the things of the word of God. Let them soak. Let them, we would be active in our thinking and not stop there. And this is specific for all the, the, uh, the Calvinists that like to debate theology but never do anything. Not just breathe in deep the things of the God, but then exhale out into acts of obedience and love for your fellow man and God. Breathe in deep those things and exhale them out in acts of obedience. This is what I mean by thinking deeply. Um, I can remember at age 15 when I was learning to drive, uh, <clears throat> my father took me to this big, huge, wide open parking lot. And it was in our truck. He put a tr- he hooked a trailer up to the back, and it was a force. It was a sh- your standard H. It was a 1983 Ford Ranger. Um, it was not. I mean, it took like I was 15. I weighed like a buck ten, and it took every single ounce of power I had in my leg to push down the clutch. Like I was not a strong dude. But I'm not a strong dude now, but certainly even less then. Um, and so we got there, and he said, "We're not leaving this parking lot until you can back this truck and trailer all the way to the other side." Now, I was just learning to drive a stick shift, and I had no idea how to back a trailer. And so it took time and work and even some tears. 
But I finally got that truck across the parking lot. It took me hours. I mean, hours. But I started eventually learning how to work the clutch and the shift and the mirrors and looking over. And all the things took time. But my body started working together to figure it all out. And I think this is exactly as it is with the Word, word of God. As we read more and more, as we think, we spend time in the Word. We start asking better questions. We start seeing more patterns. Patterns lead to more questions. More questions get more answers. And even deeper intimacy, deeper understanding of the gospel. I mean, I've said this over and over. The gospel is a diamond. It's one thing. But you can look at one thing and understand that beauty of Jesus. But then you can turn it and then the Bible provides another aspect of the beauty of the gospel. And then you turn it again. It's all the same thing. The beauty of Christ in the gospel. But the Bible provides so many different angles. And all those angles, all those beauties of this diamond are supposed to stir deep affections. Like when you see that, you're like, oh, that's so beautiful. That en- engages me and en- arises in me more deep affections for Christ. I love him even more because I've thought deeply on him. Now I'm going to read another text. I'm going to turn the diamond on the same message and let that wash over me and see beauty again in the gospel. And that's what we're talking about. But it takes thought. It takes effort. And I want us as followers of Jesus to give ourselves to thinking. But when I say thinking, of course, there's that there's that uh, exception clause, if you will, that it means exhaling it out into radical acts of obedience or exhaling it out to being obedient to the spirit's leading for love of God and fellow man. Let me read a verse just to kind of put a little bit of closure on point two of exactly what I mean. This comes from Psalm. Uh, It's a short little verse, but man, it's jam packed. It says this. Psalm 77, the the psalm writer says this, um, I will ponder all your work. That right there is amazing. I will ponder all your work. He's done a lot of things. And meditate on your mighty deeds. That right there will take your lifetime. And this is what I'm talking about. I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds because I want to know you, God. I want to know you deeply. I want to know you intimately, not in the romantic sense, but intimately, like communing, communing with him. And again, as I've said, this is not when we talk about meditation, not a passive soaking. Um, There is a place for that. And I'm not trying to minimize these the passive soaking in on and memorization of the word of God. Beautiful. We all need to do that. But this is. The act of thinking, engaging, asking, ponding, working, digging, deeping, acting frequently um, in obedience to Jesus. That's what I want. So the first one that I want us all to do is devote ourselves to prayer. The second thing I want us all to do is to give yourselves to thinking in 2012. And again, these are thought about. um, And I'm not saying that you're doing a terrible job at these by any means. I think that we all can grow. And if we as remedy would give ourselves to these, we would see some amazing things. Now, I saved this third one for last, and it's probably the most obvious, uh, and it's this. Every day, depend on the word for life. Every day, depend on the word for life. Now, I've, I saved it last for a couple reasons. Number one is because it's different than number two. I don't, um, I don't want it to be confused with the second. The second point implies the reading. So this one is just, I could restate this, that you need to read the word every day, but I'm not, I don't want to word it that way because that's just like, you need to read the word. Yeah, I know I need to read the word. And that's not the same as thinking. Like I want you to think deeply, 
But this one is, I want you to, and I want to end, the other reason is because I want to end this one with a challenge, uh, this third one. But I wrote it this way, that every day I want you to depend on the word for life. Not, hey, just read your Bible every day. But depend on it for absolute life. Edwards, talking about his pursuit, his resolutions of the scriptures, he wrote this, resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, frequently, that I may find, as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. I want to study these scriptures so deeply that I can continually see a huge, tremendous growth, growth in my own life of steadily, constantly, frequently studying the scriptures. That's how much I want, I want to do it every day, no matter what. Now, here's, here's what I mean when I say every day depend on the word for life. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen says this. It says, when your words were found, I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. And so <clears throat> I really want you to think of the word in this way. I want you to think of the word as that you depend on them for life. Whenever you're hungry, your stomach, after a little while, none of us would go a day without eating. You may fast or try to you know, lose weight in a crazy way, but that's not how you're supposed to lose weight. But if you go a day without eating, your, your, your stomach starts telling you, hey, growl, I'm starving. Give me something here. I'm dying. And so what I want us to do is this. Um, you feel those hunger pains. I want us to pray and ask the Lord that we would depend on the word that way. We would say, God, if I go a w- one day without the word, I want you to give me hunger pains for the word. I want you to literally make it so I cannot function one day without your word. I, I am I, I'm losing my mind. I'm starving. I can barely stand up. I'm, I'm wobbly headed. I need your word so bad. I want to depend on your word every single day for life because... Here's the deal. Um, I've had numerous conversations with plenty, because we can all live without reading the Bible. Like if I eat for the next week, but don't read the Bible at the end of those seven days, I'm still alive. I'm still kicking, right? I'm still walking around, but it doesn't mean spiritually that I'm doing well at all. And I know just from conversations and and, um, seeing things that Christians don't live in this mindset. They don't live in this mindset that I must be dependent upon the word of God every single day. We can, before we know it, stop and say, whoa, 14 days just went by. I didn't even read my Bible. Now, you might be still alive, but spiritually, you might be starving and emaciated. And I don't want that for you. And you don't want that. If if you're honest, I know you don't want that. None of us want that. And so... What I want you to do is ask the Lord to, and say, God, make it so I have literal spiritual hunger pains if I'm not in your word every single day. I want to be dependent upon your word every day for life. That's how much I want your word. Pray that. Pray that. That's a dangerous prayer. The Lord might a- answer that. And then, then we'll see. You know, I think that you'll grow crazy. Now, why would we do this? And there's some obvious reasons. I mean, if I ask you, why should you read the Bible every day? We can all give some, I think, 
very informed, good answers. And so I want to give a couple answers of why uh, I think that anyone would answer this question. The first one I think is a good reason. It comes from Psalm 119.11. I want us to think differently than just this one answer. I think this is a good one, a very good one. Um, But in Psalm 119.11, it says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, Every day that I'm in your word, the more and more I know about Christ, the more and more I know his commandments, the more and more I'm filled with the spirit because I see who Christ is. I find in my life that I will sin less. And that's a good reason to read the word, to want to pursue holiness, to want to not have sin in your life is a very good reason to want to be in the word. Um, But I want you to think of it differently. And if you spend any time around me talking, then you know exactly probably where I'm going. Um, I, th- I think that not wanting sin in your life is good. I've, as a pastor, um, counseled with some of you, wept over the sin in your life with you or without you. And so it grieves me to know and have talks with whenever you have sin in your life. And I, I want you to be in the word, obviously, because I don't want you to experience the consequences of sin in your life. But there's a different reason I want you to think about than wanting to be in the Word. And it's this. It comes from John chapter 5, verse 39. If you spend any time, I think I say it probably every three weeks. Um, This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And this is what he says. He's talking to Pharisees. And the Pharisees have memorized the Scriptures better than you and I ever will memorize the Scriptures. It's not a lack of information for them, It's a lack of heart. And they're approaching the scriptures like this. I'm going to continually memorize every command in here. And as I memorize the commands, I'm going to obey those commands. And obedience to those commands is going to earn for me a right standing with God. The more I obey, the more I learn, the more I memorize, the more I'll know, the more I obey this, I'm going to have right standing with God. But we know our right standing with God is not based on our obedience. It's based on Christ's obedience imputed to us. And so Christ is talking to them and he's saying, you approach the scriptures thinking that the radical obedience of memorization that you have to those scriptures is how you're going to have life. This is what he says. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, which means obedience to the law. He says, but or and. It is they, the scriptures, that here it is. This is the sentence. Bear witness about me. That little phrase, bear witness about me. That's the reason why I want you to depend on the word every day for life. Because Jesus is the savior and the lover of your soul. And you care so deeply for him that you can't take it. You have to be with him. Every single day, you're dependent upon him desperately. Here's, here's an illustration. Um, 13 years now, I have found myself completely dependent upon my wife for a lot of things. I don't have to be, but because we've lived together for 13 years, there's things that I have given to where I am dependent on her to eat. I will, not, I will starve to death without my wife. I'm dependent on her. We have four children. My children will just run wild in the streets if she's not at home taking care of them throughout the day while I'm working. I'm dependent on her for so many things because I have allowed myself to say, I need you to help me in these things. And this is the same idea I'm talking about. I want you to give over these affections and thoughts and feelings to Jesus and say, 
I am absolutely dependent upon you, not just because I need life, but because you are so beautiful. You're the savior and lover of my soul in you is where I find life. So I want to be in these scriptures because this is the place where I get in here where I see how beautiful you are most clearly. I can sing songs. I can pray. I can have conversations with fellow Christians. And those things are good, not to minimize. You need those things in your life. But this is the place where God has ordained it from eternity past that you're going to see Jesus most clearly and have your affections stirred for him most vigorously. That's why I want you to be in the word, not just to kill sin. Of course, I don't want you to sin, but I want you to find within yourself such emotional um, affections for Christ. As you read through the word every single day where he's lifted off the page and all the different facets of the diamond, the beauty of the gospel is being shown to you how he loves you, how he died for you, how he would be willing to go to the cross, how he lived a perfect life. How he had compassion for others. How he reached out to the lost. All these things will be put on display for you as you're in the word. And if you will commune with him deeply in this way, it will be magnificently glorious for your soul and for mine. That's what I want for you. Psalm 119, 18 uh, Psalm 119, by the way, it, it's been referenced quite a bit today. Psalm 119 is just... Uh, a lot of verses over and over about the magnificence of the Word of God. I, I encourage you to read Psalm 119. It's just verse after verse after verse. It's 150 verses uh, about how beautiful, I think it's 100, it might be more than 150, um, of how beautiful the Word of God is. And this is just one of them. It says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The Old Testament uses the word law a lot of the times to describe the scriptures. And he's saying, I want to behold wondrous things out of your scriptures. And for us on this side of the cross, the wondrous things that we behold in the scriptures is the person and work of Jesus. And so we want to every day behold the wondrous things of Christ. We want to ask God that he would do that. So here's my challenge. I want to challenge you today. Now, I've challenged you with prayer and I've challenged you with thinking. But the the challenge I'm going to uh, extend to you is also behold our being in the word every day. Uh, On your way out over here at the info table, there are Bible reading plans. And I think it would be absolutely awesome if every single one of us really, because we all like the idea every year. We're like, yes, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through this year. And then we get to the end of Exodus where they're describing the temple and we get into the Levitical law and we're like, is this really? And then by like mid-January or early February, we're done. I'm just going over to the Gospels. And then we all of a sudden play the seek and define. I'm reading Second Chronicles today. You know, it's in, by the time it's mid-February, we're done reading the Bible through, right? And so um, I want us all to really commit to reading the Scriptures all the way through in 2012. I know that we all have maybe started that. And maybe you finished it, which is great. But you know the Word of God is living and active, and so you can do it again, and it'll show you new glorious things about Jesus. I want for all of us to commit to, with 100% certainty, reading the Word of God all the way through this year. Now, I know it's January 8th. Just start today and finish January 8th, 2013. God's not a legalist like you didn't start on January 1, it doesn't count. Just finish January 8th. Or today's Sunday. Go home and don't watch football and just read all seven days the rest of the day and then, or eight days. And then tomorrow you start, you're right on, right on track for the rest of the year. Whatever. Like, it doesn't matter to me. 
God's not a legalist. He wants to commune with you in your scriptures. So today, on your way out, there's several different copies, whether it's chronological or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff where you're not just bogging down in, you know, Leviticus, but you're also reading like Romans at the same time. You're reading some awesome stuff as you're reading law. But the word of God, even in the law, will draw you towards Christ. As you're reading Levitical law, that should awaken your affections for Jesus as well. So that's my challenge is for all of us that we would do this and let ourselves be amazed at what God would do individually in every single one of our lives. If we commune with him, if we give ourselves to daily reading and meditating and thinking and prayer with the Lord, I think that we would be amazed at what would happen in our lives individually. I'm not even talking about a church, but individually, you would, we would all be amazed at what would happen in our lives. Now. I want to end with this. Why would I do this? Why would we do this? We do this because of Christ. Because of the gospel. Um, The gospel is all over the Bible. And I encourage you, as you read through the scriptures this year, to notice where the writers of the Bible have succinctly written different ways to talk about the gospel. I'm going to read one for you right now and conclude with this. But there's places all over the Bible where the writers succinctly in a couple, two or three verses, keep a way to talk about the gospel. Um, this is from Acts 2, 22 through 24. But you also have 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. You also have Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Take all those Different presentations of the same message. Put them in your back pocket. And then as you're walking through, you've got a succinct way to talk about the gospel with someone. You've got a succinct way for you to read and have affection stirred for Jesus to um, live this day for Christ's glory. Whenever you've read in the scriptures, but halfway through the day, you're all of a sudden feeling temptations for sin. Feeling temptations to feel angry towards someone in a sinful way. Feeling temptation to run from a conversation you need to have or forgiveness you need to extend or whatever. Take these gospel messages and keep them in your mind. I want to conclude with this one um, because I think it's just, I think it's awesome. I mean, every, every time the gospel is presented, it's glorious. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. This is in Acts chapter 2. Where Peter's about to preach to everyone um, at Pentecost and 3,000 people get saved. And this is what he says. Men of Israel, this is why we would do this. Because of the gospel. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God and mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know. Now, all he's done is talk about the three years of public ministry of Jesus. Hasn't gotten to the gospel yet. But here it comes. He just, you remember that guy, Jesus? And this is what he said. This Jesus, this is beautiful, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is good gospel information. From eternity past, there was no second plan. From eternity past, God's plan always was for his son to come and die for sinners. That's good to know. That's how affectionately desirous he is of saving the souls of his people. That from eternity past, he's always wanted you. From eternity past, it was the foreknowledge of God. You crucified and you killed him. Peter's talking to the Israelites in the, in the, area, in the hands of lawless men. That's half the message. That's just the death. But here comes the great news. The resurrection. 
and the implications for us. There's many, many implications, but this is one that Peter draws out for us. God raised that man, Jesus, from the dead. So there's the gospel. Implication for you right now. Loosing the pangs of death. Listen to this. Because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by it. Not possible for Jesus to be held by death. Jesus defeated death for you on your behalf. It's not possible now for death to hold you. You have been made alive and will live freely, eternally. You are alive with Jesus. That's why, one reason why you do this, because death death has no hold on you anymore. You now, as Romans 6, you are now no longer a slave to sin. You're free and are a slave to righteousness. That's crazy language, but that's the way it says it. You're free now and you're a slave to righteousness. You don't have to sin. You have the power of the Spirit and the forgiveness of Jesus that you can live this out. That's why you devote yourselves to prayer. That's why you pursue Christ through thinking. That's why you you ask the Lord, make me dependent upon your word every single day. Because I need all the gospel nuggets I can dig for every day to remind me just how glorious you are. I want to continually see my affections get stirred and raise up in me for you. Because I, I have difficulty on my own strength. I can't do it on my own strength to live for you. So as we go into our time now of response to these next few songs. Would you right now pray and say, Lord... Give me the power right now to to make this commitment for 2012. Give me the power to make this. We're going to go into other things the other three weeks, but we must start with your communion with Jesus. Would you commit to these things? Pray, and then after you've prayed, stand and let's sing out to our glorious King and worship Him. Take as long as you need, however long the Holy Spirit's leading. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. And Lord, if my my sinful personality ever came out in one point in this sermon, I pray that you would blind me and those here away from me and point their affections to Jesus and that they would want Jesus in their life. They would want so deeply to devote themselves to prayer, so deeply to think on him, take the time and do the work. They would want so desperately to need, depend on your word every day for sustenance in life. Would you grant those things to us? And after that, Lord, help us, Father, have just an amazing year in the Lord Jesus Christ, where we do breathe in deeply the things of the Lord, but also Exhale out in radical obedience and love for God and fellow man. Would we see tangible displays of this in this year and be amazed at how good you are? Would you do this individually and corporately in the life of Remedy Church? I love the folks here deeply, Jesus. And I know that you're jealous for their souls and jealous for their hearts. Would you do these things in our life? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.